is indeed a, a blessing and privilege and brings joy to my heart to return and to come and share with you this morning uh, this place uh, and you as uh, great friends uh, hold a, a special place in my life and in my family's life uh, and uh, I treasure those memories uh, especially as I get older uh, you kind of get nostalgic at this stage of life and you have time to reflect more, uh, and it's a good thing. And do you agree God is good? Yes. Amen. God is good. Uh, and I can count so many blessings we could spend all day, but you don't want to sit here all day. So I won't do that, but I do want to share some things that I believe God has laid on my heart, not just for my good, but I hope for all of us uh, this morning. Uh, before we get into the Scripture this morning, though, I, I feel compelled to take just a few minutes of our time to share with you the amazing year God has given me in 2019, uh, not the least of which included an amazing surprise. Uh, and I thought at this stage of life it would be hard to surprise me. I really did. Uh, I have to confess that. I felt like well, I've experienced just about everything you could possibly experience. Uh, and church work and the leadership roles I was asked to be in pretty much threw me every possible pitch I thought could be thrown at me. Uh, and then I learned again and was humbled afresh that God still, does God still surprise you? Come on. I mean, nobody here is surprised by God. Come on, you know. I think it happens more than maybe we even realize or would be willing to admit when uh, I left my responsibilities with the region of the Great Lakes, which is about 200 churches uh, in uh, Michigan and Ohio, some of you will recall I was in that work and uh, learned a lot along the way and all of that. I was very weary of being on the road. I uh, had put on about 30,000, 40,000 miles a year traveling all over doing that. And I was also very weary of being meetings. I won't ask you if you're tired of being in meetings if you're a leader because I know you are. <laughs> I don't need to ask that. You know, I know all about that. And, and so I was really looking forward to, to retirement and God is good. And uh, Oh, by the way, uh, greetings from all of our friends down in the great city of South Bend, Indiana, where we're retired uh, and where everybody's smiling this morning because the Irish won yesterday. This is a big deal. Uh, we did learn when you move to South Bend, you don't have to be a fan of Notre Dame, but you need to be Notre Dame friendly, okay? Uh, because that city is all about that. But any rate, so, but I had I told my colleagues and close friends in ministry, you know, it'd be really wonderful you didn't bother me for a year. And I didn't mean to be cruel about it, you know. Just like, you know, I really just don't want to do all that traveling again because I'm way down there and you're way up here and la, 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 all that kind of stuff. Uh, and so, they held me to my word. And a year after I said that, one year to the week, I get a text on my phone, on my desk in my home office down there in South Bend. And the text is this, Art, would you be willing to help us with our mission church in Bahrain? Who gets texts like that? And, and so I looked at it at least three, four times, and I thought, that's got to be a mistake. No, it has my name on it. You don't usually get your name on a text, by the way, right? And so I read the thing, and I go, 
I'm just going to go have another cup of coffee. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't even tell Ruth. You know, I just laid it out. I thought, it will go away. Right? Have you ever had that where you go, it'll go away? Right? So I, I laid it there, and I went and had a cup of coffee. came back. It didn't go away. And I'm processing all this in my mind. I think, Bahrain. I think I know where Bahrain is. Do you know where Bahrain is? Long way away. Way, way far away. Right? Uh, and it's an island nation of about one and a half million people uh, in uh, the Persian Gulf. Uh, we have a, the U.S. has a big naval station there. It has about 10,000 people stationed there. Uh, it's right on the eastern edge of Saudi Arabia. In fact, it's connected with a causeway that was built back in the 80s. Uh, and uh, we do have a mission church there. And so I'm looking at the text again, and I'm going, you know, the person that sent me that text, who I was asked to hand select to succeed me, never jokes around, ever. Great guy, but he, he doesn't have one bone to joke in his body. He just doesn't, you know. So I call him. Yeah, they're dead serious. And I'm like, Really? Yeah, they, they really could use you for three months, March, April, and May. It ended up being, well, to make a long story short, uh, there's a fine gentleman in this church, a real servant of the Lord, who I took out for lunch and said, hey, Scott, and Scott Pullman back there, <laughs> I've agreed to go to Bahrain. Would you help me? <laughs> Imagine being asked that over lunch. I mean, come on, folks, think about that. You know, So I threw him a big curveball because I had gotten one. And almost without hesitation, you know, he said, well, I need to talk with Sarah. Is Sarah here? Bless your heart. You know. Oh, you're up there. That's where you're pointing. Bless your heart for being so kind about all this, all right? Because I said, you know, I, I have such a bad back, I'm not allowed to carry more than 20 pounds. I don't even know how I'm going to get these bags to buy. <laughs> I need a strong young man. Plus, I need somebody like you uh, to help me because I know already this is going to be overwhelming and and God opened his heart just like that, and he went with. There were three other volunteers uh, that did similar things for me in that three months. I, I want to thank you for being a church that always supported me in these surprises that God sent me. Because uh, I think back to a place called Romania with uh, Gary Scripsman. Gary will remember those two weeks. They were pretty amazing stories and all that. So I share that with you because I think it's important uh, not just for me this morning, but I trust for many of you uh, to remember that at every stage of life, God's still at work. He's still full of wonderful surprises. And I, I could literally spend all day just sharing just a small part of the immense impact of that on my life when I thought, well, I was pretty much, I mean, preaching full-time to a congregation from 40 different countries is really crazy stuff. When you've been retired and you thought that was all done, right? And people are coming up, oh, I'm from Cameroon. I'm thinking, I have no idea where that is. <laughs> well, I'm from Sri Lanka, and I'm from, you know. And then, and, and after uh, one morning service, uh, a lady from the U.S., uh, her husband was some position in the U.S. military that she's not even allowed to tell me about. Got to talk to you, got to talk to you, Pastor. I got to talk to you, I got to talk to you. And that went on a lot after worship there, uh, and uh, she had just come out of Saudi Arabia, was thrilled to be in a congregation that actually was, was worshiping Christ, and uh, had actually 
been spending time as a medical nurse treating wounded Taliban fighters and wanted to know what I thought of the way she witnessed to them. I said, really? You know, this is after worship service, right? Of course, this happens at Hope all the time, right? You know, we have, you know, we have these medical people asking me this all the time, you know, say, well, I've been, you know. And I said, really? Yeah, really, this, this is what I've been doing the past two months. Really? Yeah. And I, and I want you to know, this is how I approach it. It's going on and on and on. And then I, I walk back to the parsonage there, which is, by the way, you were very gracious and allowed me to have my family here in this parsonage, but it's not the fortress they have in Bahrain, <laughs> you know, where the walls, I mean, Scott could tell you about this. The walls are like 18 inches thick on this house. It's amazing. And I walk back there, and uh, this happened to be a week I was all alone, and I just sit there and I go, what just happened? Did she really say that? This is crazy. I've been a leader in the church, seminary trained. I've got degrees in theology. I had to learn to translate ancient Greek and Hebrew, and I just had a lady say, is this the right way to witness to a Taliban fighter, do you think? And it was really excellent, and I'm like, whoa. Oh. Now, I share this with you because it has a lot to do with what I believe God wanted me to come and share today out of Matthew 2, um, oddly enough, because God tends to, to mix things up in ways that we often don't expect. And over and over and over again, that experience, I, I didn't expect the text on my phone. Scott didn't expect me to take him out to lunch and say, hey, how about going to Bahrain with me? <laughs> you know, there were others that didn't expect that from me as well. And I certainly did not expect to serve a church that had people from uh, not only 40 different nations, but people all the way from Anglican background to Pentecostal background and everything else in between. And we're supposed to get along. That's the biggest miracle of all. <laughs> we're supposed to actually be able to worship and serve Christ together. And they do. And they do. Amazing, amazing stuff. So I'm glad to come back and say thank you for all your support over the years. And again, uh, for your support of even, you know, uh, giving blessing to Scott coming and helping me and uh, just all the kinds of things that you have done. But also to say, will you accept with me this morning some challenges that I believe God wants to send our way, positive ones, because in the end, that was a really positive challenge to me, but it wasn't one I really wanted at first. Did you notice how I, you know, I was like, really, I'm retired, leave me alone, you know, kind of 8,000 miles away. <laughs> and it's one long plane ride, you know. Uh, just that will do you in, you know, and jet lag, and oh, it's, it's, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's more to learn. There's more to experience. God is at work. And I just want, want you in that framework this morning to listen to what Matthew was saying about the visit of the Magi. Now, I don't know about you, but I always found these Magi kind of curious guys. No, you know, I've, I've never, honestly, I've heard a lot of sermons on the Magi, 
And none of them really ever made a lot of sense to me. So I was hesitant to preach on this passage. Because there's a lot about it that's curious, but not a lot of detail. And especially out of our culture and where we live in the world, it's really strange, I think. If it's not strange to you, let's meet afterwards like the people in Bahrain do, and you tell me more about it because I want to hear from you. But I remember as a kid singing, we three kings of Orient are. And then in my studying for this sermon, I'm going, well, I can't imagine in the Reformed Church I grew up in, we were okay singing that hymn because John Calvin was adamantly against calling these guys kings. <laughs> How did that hymn slip through? Well, we're confused about this. We're really not sure who these guys were. But I'm, I'm looking forward to sharing with you this morning what I believe God wants us to learn, maybe for the first time, but at least uh, in a new, fresh way, why this was so significant. This isn't just a little, you know, curious aside of the Christmas story. It's really central to what God inspired Matthew to share about the birth of God's Son. And so I invite you to turn with me to Matthew 2, and we're going to uh, read the first 18 verses of this. This is right after Matthew has shared in chapter 1 the birth of Jesus Christ. We'll begin reading chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And when he called together all the people, chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophets has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. 
Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. May God bless this reading of his word and may he, he give us hearts open to receive what he wishes for us to receive this day. So the question I'm asking myself, and I would ask you this morning, well, it's December 29. Is Christmas over? Is it over? Well, yesterday, I will confess, I took the last piece of homemade fudge and I ate it. And it was delicious. Uh, it's a recipe my mother had. It, it holds wonderful value to me, and it seemed like that's it. It's over. And perhaps, you know, the part of celebrating Christmas as a holiday is, is over. And I, I'm not trying to poke fun at that or make little of that or anything like that. We all build up towards a celebration of this really significant most important holiday and you know whether it's getting the family together and, and the right people together in the right place and sharing presents and, and all of that but then, then it's over and that's been going on in my life for 60 some years and I expect it will continue that way and it has a lot of value but then I back up and I go well but, but it's Christmas really over. Well, what about Christmas as a season? You know, I mean, we, in our culture, uh, we start the season pretty early, and, you know, I see decorations going up more than a month in advance, maybe two months in advance, and, and all kinds of things about, you know, we got to get out and get shopping and, and get presents, and we got to get ready, and, and so, and I noticed you got lovely decorations. I, I love them, and they're still up, my guess is there's plans to take them down in the not-too-distant future. I don't expect to come back here in March or next summer and see the Christmas decorations or the Advent candles. And so I suspect the, uh, the fun stuff I like in our house, I, I have a snowman collection. Any of you are familiar with those snowmen from Hallmark that sing the songs and all that? Um, my children really don't like those, so I bought almost all of them. Uh, and I play them all the time. And, uh, you know, and I, I, I'm trying to convince them how eccentric I am by making sure their presents always have snowmen on them. And, you know. So, you know, there's things about the season I love, but then it's over. You know, it comes a point where, you know, you really just got to put it away and get on with life. But when I read Matthew's account, it jumps out at me, and I'm intrigued 
by the reality of what Christmas really is and that there's a life-impacting truth in what transpired in Bethlehem that never goes away, ever. And it's not tied to a particular holiday. It's not tied to a particular season. It's tied to a person. And that's so important for us to remember. There's a life-impacting truth centered around a person here. And it's, it's magnified greatly by this remarkable story of the Magi, which sometimes we refer to as wise men or even kings, although I've already explained that a very significant uh, theologian in the history of Reformed tradition would say, please don't say they're kings. And I, I read a lot this past couple of weeks about history of the Magi, and there's lots of different theories about them. Uh, but certainly they're significant, even if we don't completely understand exactly who they were. And as Matthew records them in this gospel account, I believe one thing for certain that he wanted those who would read this account to understand is this person brings life-impacting truth, and that's never over. And by the very simple but profound way it's written, that comes through in a huge, powerful way. So let's stop and think about the Magi going out on their search for Jesus. Now, I'm going to try really hard to fill in the blanks that you have in your outline in the bulletin. But knowing the way I preach, I'll probably miss at least one, even though there's hardly any. And so I'm relying on you to go, oh, you missed one. You know, just wave and say, hey, Pastor Art, you didn't give me the fill in the blank. But under the search for Jesus, I just want to keep it really simple, but hopefully helpful and profound. This is a significant journey. This is not a little, oh, I want to go check this out. This is a significant journey. Uh, and I thought a lot about that when I got on a plane at O'Hare and went 8,000 miles. I don't know if I can endure this in an airplane. You know, 13 hours later, you land in Dubai, and you're still not there. It's like, well, do we have that picture that I sent? Can you guys put that up a minute? So that's their jet right there. <laughs> Actually, um... That was the, the top-of-the-line desert SUV uh, of the time. I met that. that. That actually is a, oh, that's a female camel. I can't really tell from the picture, but uh, trust me, it's a female. And uh, it, it's a really interesting critter. There's about three to 400 of those on a camel farm in Bahrain because one of the royal family uh, in Bahrain likes camels, so they just have a camel farm. And uh, a new friend of mine there, Alistar, said, Pastor R, how about if uh, my wife and I take you and your wife to see the camel farm? So we went, we went to the camel farm. And uh, I've never been, have you ever been on a camel farm? It's really weird. You know, it's a very unusual place. 
You've seen camels though, right? Okay. Now, here's the thing I want you to think about. This is a significant journey. This was, this we can be sure of. This was their mode of travel. Can't be 100% sure who the Magi were, although I want to share some things about that. But we know this is how they traveled, probably with an entourage, and it took quite a while, and most likely was about a thousand mile trip. Uh, it might have been less than that, it might have been more than that, but it's reasonable to suggest it's a thousand miles. So that would be like you and I leaving Chicago and going to Orlando on that. I want you to think about that. So, we don't just go, oh, this is curious, let's go check this out. Right? I mean, we kind of do that. We're so used to mobility, you know. We just go, well, I'm going to jump my car and go over and see that, you know. It wasn't like, well, I'm just going to jump on old, I don't know what to name her. I don't want to offend any lady here, okay. Um, but I'm going to jump on my camel. I'm going to head over there. You know, a thousand miles on a camel. I, a mile on a camel will kill me. You know, it'll do me in. You know, I can't imagine this, you know. Now, these are amazing creatures. They can go a long way on very little wa water and very little food because they store it up. And I don't want to get into all that. But this is a really significant journey. These magi are really compelled. They are going to go see this newborn king. This is a life impacting event. Amazing. And there were really, all these years, I've read this account so many times, it impacted me so much more because I had actually been out kind of in the area where they were. You know, I thought I understood desert after I had been in Arizona. Man, go to the Middle East. You don't understand desert until you go there. You know? One day I get up and it's like, man, it's so foggy today. And my neighbors upstairs, Josh and Allison, Allison actually grew up in Battle Creek of all things. He's the principal of the Christian school there, amazing. And he says, Art, that's not fog, that's dust. Dust. Dust? Yeah. Yeah, we get that pretty regular. You know, depends on which way the wind's blowing out of Saudi. <laughs> there it goes. You know. Well, there's something new. Now, this is a significant journey. You know, you're going to go through dust. I mean, I couldn't see from you to the front bench here. Really? Okay. We're going to do that? Yeah. thousand miles? Yeah. Okay. It's going to take some time. But they do it. They're absolutely serious. Now, what could... In, now, think about this. This is to go see... child born to become the king of who? The Jews. Were the Magi Jews? No. No. That we know for sure. No, uh-uh. Not a chance. And there's different theories about their background. Certainly they were astrologers. There's really no question about that. They were the scientists of their time. Uh, but they had real no serious attachment as Jews. But what, what we do know uh, out of the history, or I would like to at least suggest to you that I think is fascinating, 
is that it was likely 500 years before this that they had learned what they needed to know about this life-impacting event, this truth that would never be changed. And it almost certainly or likely came through Daniel. Do you remember anything about Daniel? Daniel is among the exiles, the, the last of the, the Jewish people out of the southern kingdom of Judah that was overtaken uh, by King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire. And they were taken out of their homeland, and Daniel was brought to Babylon, uh, which is, by the way, quite far east of Jerusalem. towards Iran and Iraq and Saudi Arabia, okay? And uh, if we go there, I want to read just, just part of this out of chapter 2 with you. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. And so the king summoned the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, the astrologers, to tell him what he dreamed. And when they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me. I want to know what it is. And then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. And the king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces, and your house is turned into piles of rubble. Whoa. Oh, the king's getting really tough. Everything's on the line here at this point. And so he tells them, I'm, basically, I'm going to, you're going to die if you don't get this right. And once more, they replied, let the king tell his servants a dream, and we will interpret it. And then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize this is what I have firmly decided. And he goes on, and he tells them the dream and then in verse 10, the astrologers say this back. Now, this is 500 years before the birth of Jesus. The astrologers answered the king, there is not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however, great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among men. This, king, this made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men in Babylon. Whoa, this is a really bad day for Magi. This would make all the major news networks, right? This is the kind of stuff that creates a lot of tension in the political world. And when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon... Now listen, listen to this. Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. This is Daniel. Now Daniel is an exiled Jew. But because of his amazing abilities, had been placed among the Magi. And Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact, and he asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? And Ariat then explained the matter to Daniel. And at this Daniel went in to the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Now th think, about, think about the relational dynamics of what are go what's going on 
right? Then, and this is the really remarkable thing, verse 24, then Daniel, after, after he explains the dream to King Nebuchadnezzar, that is Daniel, Daniel went to Ariak, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king. I will interpret the dream for him. And after he gets all done, the king repents of his position and it saves all the magi in Babylon. Aha. Aha. Think about this. Now, if I learned anything in that culture in the Middle East, it's they don't forget anything. And they treasure those who take care of them. Why do I know this? Well, see, now think about this. 500 years later, Magi travel on camels on this significant journey, likely a thousand miles, to go worship a newborn king who's a Jew. That, on, on the earth, that makes no sense. To us in the United States, that's crazy thinking. But to these people, that's what you do. Why do I say that? So I'm walking through the American Mission Hospital in the center of Manama, where there's one, over one million people from all over the world but is Arabic by culture. In an Islamic state, and, it, and you probably don't understand. I, I had no idea what an Islamic state is. That means, whether you like it or not, this, this is about being Muslim, period. So when we celebrate Ramadan for 30 days, and the rule is there's no eating or drinking from sunup to sundown. That's what we mean, and we don't care what background you are because if you, take, if you have a cup of coffee or a bottle of water in public, we will put you in jail. I go, wow, that's new. Whoa. So I checked with Josh upstairs. He said, yeah, they will, Art. Don't do that. Okay. He says, if you want to have a cup of coffee in the Parsons, make sure the curtains are pulled. And I did. Okay. So they didn't put me in jail. But this is different, right? Have you ever had that? You know, they're serious about this, right? But, so how does that make any sense? We have this Christian church about this size, right? Scott, maybe about this size, right in the center of the city, and the American Mission Hospital right there, and just a couple blocks over the Christian school, and it's been, been there for over 100 years. Started back in the late 1800s. How, how does that work? How does that work? So there were wonderful leaders there that took me through how that works. Samuel Zwamer, a Reformed Church missionary, uh, went over there in the, late, in the 1880s, felt called of God to bring the gospel to the Middle East, and when he got there, he found out their biggest need was they had no medical care. None. And our missionaries back in the late 1800s had some basic medical care. Uh, so he started treating people and realized, I need to go back to the U.S. I need to marry a nurse and find a doctor. No, he actually did this. 
It's, I know, it sounds funny, but he did this, right? Camels all the way back. By the way, they traveled by camel, all right, over there. Goes all the way back, and they, they, not, they treated the royal family of Bahrain, the royal family of, of Saudi Arabia, and even Iraq and Iran. To this day, now listen to me, folks. To this day, as a Christian, I cannot drink a bottle of water. I can't pick up a bottle of water and have it out in public during, during their festival of Ramadan, which was 30 days in May, sun to sundown. But no one, no one may touch that hospital ever. Am I right, Scott? This is true. I'm not making this up. This is amazing. You may not touch that church. And it sits in between, there's two huge mosques there. They're massive. Yeah, can't touch that. Matter of fact, my, my friend who's there now, Doug McClintock, who I think most of you know Doug, he's, he's there right now, he says hi. It's, I mean, the thing is all lit up with Christmas lights. It just shows, it's got a picture, it's amazing, you know, really. And it has, a, you know, the church has a cross on it. And, and the school is still there. Why? Why? Because the king says we will honor what doctors Waymer did. Period. And that stands generation after generation after generation after generation. That's just not common for us. That amazed me. And certainly I saw God's hand in it. And this is just the tiny version of it. I'd be happy to share it with you if over, you know, a two-hour coffee time or something. But I went, oh, I've, I think I get it now. Daniel saved the Magi. And they started to take him very seriously. And that lasted for over 500 years. So strongly that they knew the prophecies about the Messiah so strongly that they would travel through that desert land on camel to worship the newborn king. Think about that. It's significant. However, it was disturbing to some, especially to Herod. You know that part of the story. It's a really sad part of the story. Did I miss something here? I got all excited about the thing in Bahrain. So the Magi do get there, right? And while Herod is disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him, and the reason for that is obvious, Herod doesn't want another king. The people don't want more disturbances among the challenges they have with the Roman Empire. In their minds, they don't need that, Right? And so all of this is disturbing to them. But it's delightful to the Magi. They've been waiting for centuries for this. This is what they've wanted to see. This is what they passed down generation after generation after generation. And so Matthew writes, when they, when they finally get there and they see the star, they are overjoyed. Now, overjoyed is kind of a strange word. How can you be too happy 
How are you overjoyed? Well, you've listened to great grandpa and, 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 and you've waited and you've waited and you've waited and this is what you've got. You, you're the blessed one. You actually get to see this. You get to see this. It's an amazing discovery. And the star provided perfect navigation. By the way, I had trouble with my navigation devices in Bahrain, and boy, that's, that's difficult. Thank you, Scott, for all your help. <laughs> and he'll remember that. The star did bring them exactly where they needed to be. They find Mary in a house with Jesus. And exactly what the Old Testament prophets had proclaimed. Micah 5.2 is who Matthew quotes. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me, one who will be ruler over Israel. And then they worship him. They worship him. Powerful worship. Amazing worship. Worship that cannot be denied. And they're not Jews. But they worship him. And God is saying, listen, God is saying, this gift is for the whole world. Matthew was writing to Jews. We're pretty sure of that. And God wanted to say through him, make sure they know it's for everybody. Because for sure, if Magi worship him, then this is the one for everybody. With no exceptions. Well, that leads me to this point, the success of Jesus. And you know about the success of Jesus. But it's pretty fascinating to think that even as an infant, he couldn't be destroyed. See, the Magi were under obligation to return to Herod and tell Herod where Jesus was. But there was divine intervention. And they did what Magi would never do. They didn't go back. <laughs> this was totally out of character for them. Because they had said they'd go back. And they're people that keep their word. But they didn't go back. They were warned in a dream. So they take a different route home. I don't know if it was I-70 or 65, but they went home a different way. And Herod fails in his attempt to destroy Jesus. I hate to even bring up this part of the passage because it disturbs me terribly. Because I still remember standing in the ruins of the citadel, uh, Herod's citadel, just outside of Bethlehem. I think I probably told you this years ago. And it just, it just rattles me emotionally too much to think. Because you look over this, this little town of Bethlehem and to think the order went out to kill those babies. Now, we don't know how many there were. But to kill any baby just is beyond disturbing to me. I hope it is to you too. Just can't stand the thought. But it gives us an idea of how desperate Herod was to hold on to his power and how sad that was. But here's the beautiful thing. Jesus was not to be destroyed, even as an infant. 
and Jesus succeeded. Eventually, even a Roman crucifixion couldn't defeat Jesus. So, Christmas prevails. Just fill in that last thing, Christmas prevails. Yes, there's, there's neat things about the season, and I'm happy for the season, and I'm happy for the holiday, and I'm happy for homemade fudge and banquet and all those things. I like all that stuff. But Christmas prevails. And this is for sure, dear people of God. Um, the Lord won't lead you anywhere that he won't help you learn more about how important this is. How important this is. I cannot tell you how many times I walked out of that 70-year-old fortress of a parsonage past a Shia, huge Shia mosque over to the National Evangelical Church of Christ and the American Mission Hospital and went, wow, 